Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, our third podcast of the week. More to come. We're going to have to do more of these. You guys have sent in a record number of questions. It's unbelievable how many questions you guys have sent in. We love that you're listening. We love that you're concerned about what's going on with the team. So keep them coming. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can give us a call at 641-715-3900, extension 816. 646, or you can do it from your browser. Go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page to leave a voicemail that way as well. We're on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. We're on Google Play, Audioboom, Stitcher, lots of places where you can download and subscribe to podcasts. Just search Peristyle Podcast, and you can find us. And uh, some of these questions are coming in. Just to let you know, we can't read paragraphs and paragraphs of questions, and don't rely on me to edit them down there's just too many i'm not going to go through all all of these if you got something that long to say go to uscfootball.com go to our message boards go to the forums and post it there we'd love to have you adding to the discussion there but if you have a question for us try to keep it tight short is good and we will do our best to answer them all and uh today we're going to talk with dan weber and have him answer as many as we can dan's got lots of insights on this we were down there in dallas together uh at AT&T Stadium very impressive and want to welcome in Dan Weber hey Dan how you doing man hey Ryan uh, 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 that's a good question <laughs> how are you doing here I, I I don't I don't think we've got a good answer uh is, is the uh is my answer yeah I don't I mean it's uh there's some there's a sense of shell being shell-shocked I uh, just you know, we all had different kind of opinions going in. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be that bad and that lopsided with that many months to prepare and that much motivation and to see the team just collapse, uh, at, you know, the, from the middle of the second quarter on, knowing that like, and we talked about this for 22 minutes or whatever, they were toe to toe with Alabama. They were winning, you know, um, and after that, it was just an utter, just destruction. It just looked like a high school team versus a college team. It didn't look like they belonged on the same field. And I don't think any of us really expected that going in. No, I mean, I don't think they did themselves any favors by any decisions they made about the game on offense. Um, clearly, uh, I thought, you know, the defensive game plan, you know, was pretty good. Uh, they don't give up, you know, scores and they don't give up, you know, a couple of just busted you know, coverages and, and that kind of thing. You know, I thought they, uh, I thought they defended, you know, well. I thought they competed well. I thought they would. I, I really, you know, it's as crazy as it is. If you had to watch USC practice, you know, the whole fall, you come away thinking, you know, I kind of like the way the defense is looking. I think we kind of said that, you know, the addition of Stevie and, and, um, uh, you know, Khalil Rogers on defense and Noah Jefferson coming back a little bit healthier and, uh, uh, Michael Hutchings leadership and, and, and we saw that and Cam Smith and, and all those different things and thought Adore would really, you know, come and play and 
he certainly did a job on, you know, Calvin Ridley. So a lot of pluses there. What we didn't see was the offense getting any better, especially the last two weeks of uh, fall practice. Once they added the game plan for Alabama, once they went specific, we're tweaking it this way and this way for Alabama, they didn't look sharp either of the last two weeks on offense. And, you know, that probably should have been a tip-off, that something wasn't right. And, uh, you know, and that was against, Hell, I was against the scout team on some days. Uh, you get against that Alabama defense, and uh, that might be – they made here the most really good player. I mean, I'm not sure that you've ever seen a team that maybe has the five best players at their positions in the country. I mean, you, know, you didn't have a lot of, you know, numbers back on defense, but the quality was stunning. Uh, and when you saw – you know, this is a team that Saban, you know, smart guy that he is, they came in that front seven, 21 pounds lighter a man. Well, man, now what a difference that, that made in terms of their athleticism. And then USC decides to go with wide splits. And, you know, they would have needed baseball bats on some of those plays to make <laughs> contact with those Alabama guys who were just so much more more athletic so you know it was kind of a a disaster and and still you know i think the quarterbacks didn't play bad uh who knows about the wide receivers maybe one one or two passes they didn't catch but they basically weren't allowed in the game and then you had the offensive line that truly you know it was was stunningly uh inept just almost hard to describe dad it's funny you mentioned um the two weeks of game prep. So basically when fall camp ended, I would, at that point, um, I was pretty much in your camp. I was like, you know, I think this team is deeper than we've seen. It's, there's a lot of talent on here. There's future NFL guys for sure. Um, I think there was some optimism with the, you know, you thought the offensive line would be deep and powerful and like what Neil Calloway was doing. They're going to play well. I, you know, I felt that the defensive line, which a lot of people thought was a concern, you know, with the transfers, you know, with Stevie Tui Kolovatu and Josh Fatu and, um, Khalil Rogers adding some, you know, maturity. I thought that was going to be a positive. So I was like, you know, I probably, I think Alabama was going to win, but I thought it would be close. That first week of game prep, I was watching the USC offense execute, uh, against the scout team. Um, and it, I would see, like the running back kind of run up a blocker's back and a tip pass from the, you know, defensive back in a black shirt that against Alabama, I'm like, that's a pick six. It's not a tip pass. And it, it concerned me that the offense just didn't look like it was going to flow and work. If it wasn't working perfectly against the scout team, I just like, this is not going to go well against Alabama. And so at that point, that's when I thought, okay, I think Alabama's going to cover the spread. I didn't think it was going to be that bad, but I just thought they're not going to be able to score enough points, even though I thought it'd be a lower scoring game. Uh, but I, it's funny that you mentioned that for some reason, the prep for Alabama is where this seemed to go poorly. And I don't know why that would be, but it seemed like that's when things kind of turned around. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I've seen a team. I thought, for example, everybody says, Oh, they're playing against themselves. I thought they looked really good in the spring. I thought they looked diverse. 
I thought they ran stuff quickly. They used the tight ends in ways we haven't seen in years and years. Uh, they came up and they looked a lot like Western Kentucky looked last year. And uh, then, you know, in the summer, we saw them. That was the best summer workouts we've seen. No, it's not even close. By far the best summer workouts. They did all the 11 on 11 stuff. You know, they did five days of conditioning. The guys that needed to lose weight lost weight. The guys that needed to put on weight put on weight. Uh, they could run better than we've seen them run. Uh, you know, they'd look, you know, in every way and they get into fall and something just, they weren't getting better. I mean, they got better on defense just because the addition of a couple of personnel and, and Clancy really locking down on, on what he wanted to do. But the offense, you know, I mean, you really should be getting better and, and, and it didn't look like it has a personality. Uh, when you say we're going to be a physical run first team, but then you line up in a, you know, in formations and, and, you know, with a scheme that isn't exactly run first and you try to run guys, 200 pounders into places where you would see no lead blocker and three Alabama defenders. And you think what in the world would make you think these plays are going to be successful? I mean, there's no way you know, they're going to be successful. And so that's the concern, I think, is that did they really think that was going to work? Do you think, do they think, and did they not have a plan B? I know they said, well, our plan B was to, you know, throw swing passes to the running backs. And I'm thinking, they're covering your seven guys. You know, they've got seven guys free to cover, you know, a couple of wide receivers. You're not, you know, running your tight end into patterns much. So they've got seven guys free to cover, you know, a swing pass to the running back and a couple of receivers. That's not, those are not good odds. Uh, you know, I don't know what, what the alternate game plan should have been. You know, in my thinking, I, I think you go with foot to foot, re, you go Stanford and you try to wedge it out. Uh, and you try to, you know, you at least make contact on the, uh, the defensive lineman instead of, you know, whiffing I mean, there would be plays at the end of the play, the only guys on, on the ground would be the USC offensive linemen and their running back. You know, I mean, that they wouldn't have contacted. They'd, you know, be rolling on the ground and, and not contact the, uh, uh, Alabama defenders who were so much more athletic. It reminds you of some of those, the, uh, body control of some of those early Oregon teams when Chip Kelly had it really going. And it looked like those guys do a lot of kind of motion, body control work. Uh, and the USC kids look like their balance was, was, you know, and their body control was not good, uh, especially, you know, when they get a, any kind of an outside rush or any kind of a speed rush <clears throat> that the Alabama kids were just totally in control of all those situations. And, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, okay, no one they play is even going to be close to that Alabama team. So that's the good news. But now, what does USC do about it? And I think it'll be really interesting to see. Interesting to see what they do in practice this week. You know, well, Dan, and uh, I, you know, I, I, we have so many questions, uh, but I wanted to give us kind of a, our own little recap first before we jump into all of those. Um, I agree with you on the offensive side. I mean, there were so many problems. There was 10 straight drives, or a 10-drive stretch, Dan, 
over 10 drives in a row, minus six yards, 31 total plays. So they averaged 3.1 um, plays per drive, quote-unquote drive, uh, and got minus six yards. That's over. That's like half the game that they did nothing on offense. So for me, I was happy to see the defense flying around. Um, I thought they were pretty aggressive. I put a story up, like kind of a light at the end of the tunnel story oh. on uscfootball.com. You could check it out, talk to a couple of defenders about it, and felt overall they played well. Now, there were some, there were some breakdowns, and I think when you play a, a riskier defense, a, a defense that's forcing negative plays, that's going to happen, probably too many of them, but certainly I like the way, the aggressiveness which which they were playing. But when you're talking about every time the offense gets the ball, it's three plays and hand it back, not even, not scoring, certainly not scoring, but not even getting first downs. Um, to me, I think that's something that can demoralize the defense. So the positive for me of this whole thing was how the defense played. Um, I, I don't know if you agree or just what your thoughts on that are. Well, absolutely. No question. I mean, the defense was right there. When you talk to them coming out afterwards, they didn't, you know, they said, Hey, you know, we felt, they felt good about what they did for the most part. And I think they should have, you know, the Cam Smith and Michael Hutchings and Stevie, uh, Porter Gustin, uh, those guys, I thought, you know, had a, had a good start. I thought a Dory, you know, played really well. Um, I mean, we got to get some things going with, uh, you know, Chris Hawkins and, and Biggie Marshall, something, you know, they got to figure, figure some things out. They can't have the, you know, the mistakes, uh, that, that they had, uh, you know, the ones that produce the, you know, the touchdown. Um, I think the thing that, the, you know, as bad as those numbers are, even a worse number for me is the fact zero touchdowns that they scored no touchdowns. I don't, I, I'm, I'm thinking Alabama probably doesn't, you know, stop as good as they are. Teams will score touchdowns on them and that USC couldn't even come close. One play in the red zone, uh, Although I will say this, you know, Matt Bormeister is, uh, is a big improvement. Uh, I think Chris Tilby, if he's still able to walk after having to do all that, you know, that punting. <laughs> I mean, he won a few times I, I was saying that you'll have to check the catapult numbers on the punter, uh, to make sure he's not, you know, having to exert himself too much and, 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 and a dory on uh, kickoff return. I mean, those are the two things you don't want to lead the nation in. You know, number of punts and kickoff returns. You don't want your guys. Uh, that's like the uh, in baseball. If you lead the league in double plays, uh, you know, uh, on defense, uh, that's not a good stat because it means they got a lot of guys on base. Uh, and uh, you know, so uh, yeah, I I just think uh, they uh, they just they have to decide who are they going to be on offense. Who are, what are we going to look like? How is it going to look? I mean, and if you can't do that, you better have the best defense in the world. I mean, Pete Carroll's teams didn't always have an absolute offensive identity, but they made up for that with, you know, the kind of sound defense that they just didn't give you anything. I mean, this defense has got to get to the point where they don't give anything away. They just give nothing up. Uh, make the special teams work. And figure out who you are on offense and what you can do, uh, and use this game as a as a benchmark and say, okay, we couldn't do it against Alabama, but we're gonna be able. This is who we are, and we are gonna be able to do it. It won't be just talk. 
but, you know, to go in there and know what we know now, I mean, they had no chance to run that offense against that defense, as it turns out. You got to know that if, you know, they're paying you millions of dollars a year to coach a football team, you've got to understand that. And they didn't. Um, so talk about the special teams aspect. I thought the start was pretty good. Like Tilby had a couple good punts. Um, the one that was backed up to his own, you know, uh, he was in his own end zone. Uh, Bormeister, you know, getting a couple of field goals, even the one that doinked around. He did, you know, but there was some problems too. And as much as this team practiced special teams, they had, I believe, two penalties on special teams. And one of them was, uh, came after a short punt. I think it was the Michael Pittman one. And that really, that set up Alabama's first touchdown. So this was the three nothing game, back and forth, back and forth. Poor punt, penalty. Alabama gets a ball to like the USC 36, punches it in, you know, boom. And, and then it was right. off to the races. So it was one of those things where Alabama's special teams, the punter, you saw how great he was and had, they kept it up and USC did well in the beginning and then it just kind of fell off, uh, kickoff out of bounds and things like that. And, you know, multiple penalties, uh, on, on, on kicks and things like that. To me, as much as they practice special teams, Dan, I, I thought it was kind of sloppy at times and it, it wasn't up to the, the standard you would think a guy like John Baxter would want. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, fo- focusing on Bormeister and, and Tilby, uh, obviously, you know, I think if you're going to kick directionally, into the end zone, you're going to have the chance that that thing's going to hook in front of the goal, you know, the, you know, the pylon there. And that's a, that's a problem. You know, I mean, if you're just going to let him kick it straight away and kick it into the end zone, that's one thing. But if you want him to kick it both to the corner and into the end zone, you do have the chance you're going to hook that thing in front. So is that a something, you know, a risk you take? Maybe, uh, you know, getting the penalties on, uh, Special teams on Pittman and then on uh, Jabari, I think those are pretty much inexcusable. Uh, and it's one of the tough things when you know Pittman is a freshman and he's you know the gunner, and a team like Alabama has got people that can really hold you up, and you just got to react to it and you got to be expecting it. Uh, I know the uh, one of those early timeouts that they had to take was because of a substitution error on special teams. So, yeah, so all of those things I think added up. And then I think Tilby, they, they focused really a lot on the, uh, Michigan, Michigan State game, end of the game, punter, uh, all he had to do was fall on the ball to Michigan punter and an, another Australian kid and he tries to kick it. And, you know, with the clock running down, they lose the game. And I think that lesson maybe had been imprinted a little bit too much on Tilby because that only applies when you're winning and the clock's running out at the end of the game. Do you automatically fall on the ball with no thought? Uh, when he fell on the ball, he didn't look, he didn't realize Alabama wasn't rushing. They were, they were, they had a punt return on. He could have picked it up, could have taken his time. And as good of a rugby style kicker as he is, he could have easily picked it up kicked it on a run and uh, <clears throat> everything would have been fine. So, <clears throat> so there probably were more, not so much with, uh, with the two main, main characters, but with the, uh, with the overall kind of discipline of the, uh, of the special teams, I would agree. 
All right. Well, that's kind of our overview. Now we're going to jump into these questions, and there's a lot, as you know. Um, you know, I'm going to start with a voicemail question, Dan, because this was something that people have talked about on Twitter and everything. I want to get your thoughts on it. Here you go. Hello, Ryan. I'd like to make a comment on the Jabari Ruffin incident during the game. Jabari is a senior on the team, and he should know better. As a senior, he should be a role model for the younger players. He embarrassed himself, his teammates, and the university he represents on national TV. If I were the head coach, I would give Jabari some time out. He would not play, period, in the next two games. The punishment he received is nothing more than a light slap on the wrist at best. Don, from up in California. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely agree with Don. I, I think it, the, you know, sitting out a half just doesn't do it. And, and I'm glad they're going to make him, you know, write the apology letter. I don't ever get the sense that that's who Jabari is. And that's a case where I think Clay, you know, is the, you know, family father figure and, you know, wanting, you know, what to see. You know, this is a good kid and this isn't really who he is and all that. I think there maybe is a time where you just have to say, we don't do that. It's not acceptable. And the way we're going to show it's not acceptable is you're not going to play in the home opener. That's how I think at least I would do that. Whether, whether that's worth two games, I think it's absolutely worth a game. And, um, you just have to, you know, suck it up and say, this isn't who we are. We're not going to do this. And, uh, and you really have to make the case that that's, that's how you feel, that you really feel that way in a serious way. Not just take the NCAA penalty and say that's it once you write the letter. All right. Uh, let's go to Stephen Poway. He says, were there any Trojans who actually looked like they deserved to be on the same field as Alabama? And he goes, candidates, Adore Jackson, Cam Smith, Chris Tilby, um, were there any freshman players from the last recruiting class that had any impact whatsoever? That's Steve and Poway. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, and I don't think we were thinking any freshman would have an impact. I mean, uh, they've got Jack Jones out there, uh, you know, fielding kickoffs. So, uh, uh, He's getting some valuable experience. You're talking about the true freshman. Uh, obviously, uh, Sam Darnold, you know, redshirt freshman, uh, you know, got his chance, but yeah, I mean, this wasn't a game where, where freshmen were going to have an impact for USC. It's just, you know, this, the seniors weren't having an impact. Uh, so no, there just wasn't a, there wasn't a place for, for that to happen. All right, Steve. Yeah, um, Michael Michael Pittman had an impact, but it was a negative. <laughs> it was a negative yeah. one. Uh, let's go. SP Trader. He says Juju was double covered almost every play Saturday night. Why were the other wide receivers not open more? I mean, I did not see any separation between our wide receivers and Alabama's defensive backs. Is that due to the speed of our wide receivers, or the routes they were running, or how they were running them? Is this indicative of Martin's coaching the wide receivers? Did it have anything to do? With the absolute terrible play of the offensive line, just wondering what your thoughts were on this aspect of the game. Those are really good questions. I think the offensive line plays the key part there. If they can occupy, you know, your six guys 
and I'm saying six because I think they really had to keep the tight end. Yeah, you know, this was the hope this year. You wouldn't have to keep the tight end in the block, and he'd really be part of the offense, you know, attack that they had to, uh, you know, defend against. Well, if that if that doesn't happen, and you got six guys tied up blocking four, they've got seven who can defend. You know, what are we talking about? You know, Juju and one or two others, and maybe a running back. Uh, but they're basically playing seven on four. And if they can do that, it almost doesn't matter, you know, what play you call. If, you know, they're obviously at least as athletic as every one of USC's players. Is it a concern that they don't seem to be getting any separation on offense, that they didn't last fall all that much? Uh, you know, in the receiver, the receivers and that they aren't, you know, or they weren't obviously against Alabama. Yeah. I think it's really, you know, is that, is that athleticism? Are they not as fast? Are they not as good as, you know, as we thought they are? Or is it strictly a scheme that because, you know, the four Alabama defend, defensive, you know, front could tie up, you know, as many USC players and they didn't have to worry. If you're in the Alabama secondary or, um, you know, try to remember the Oklahoma game that USC played in the Orange Bowl. Those Oklahoma secondary guys had to worry about Lendale White and Reggie Bush. They knew those guys could hurt them on any play, on every play, and they had to come up. If you're an Alabama defender in that game Saturday, you didn't have to worry about anything other than, you know, a couple of wide receivers. That was it. I mean, so you have to be able to run the ball. The way, the way you, USC does it, if you can't run it, you can't pass it either against a team that's equally uh, athletic or, or more so. Hard to disagree with that, Dan. Too much logic here. Um, all right, let's see. John and Brea, thanks for all the great coverage from Texas. So many issues that need to be addressed. Uh, add to that the craziness of Sark now working for Nick Saban. I'm wondering... How many offensive analysts does uh, Coach Helton and USC have on staff? And I think what uh, I think someone tweeted it. It might have been Bruce Feldman or some or Andy Staples that uh, Nick Saban has like 21 consultants or whatever those kind of assistants on his staff. Yeah, they they basically have uh, a shadow coaching staff. Uh, essentially, the I think the strength and conditioning people were all basically football coaches. So I think when they do all that, you know, strength and conditioning work, they're working with football coaches. Then they have all these guys who coach the coaches. Uh, USC hired Kerry Colbert away, you know, from Alabama. And, and so is this the, uh, you know, tit for tat and getting Sark back? And obviously, you know, Sark has been talking to him before he showed up on Monday or Tuesday. Um, so on Monday, I guess, uh, so, uh, did they get something out of that? Probably, you know, I mean, you have, uh, USC's last two head coaches, both working for Nick Saban. I mean, let's face it, nobody else in the country could do that and just hire guys, you know, one more guy, one more guy, one more guy. I mean, it's just, you know, and they figured out where the NCAA rules don't quite cover things, you know, I mean. Uh, USC had Pete Jenkins as a consultant in the fall, and I think he did a wonderful job, not coaching the players, just coaching with the coaches. Uh, 
it's obviously a good idea if you see where the USC uh, defensive line uh, came and you know and Pete knew that they were they were getting a lot better and he knew why and uh, you know if Alabama's got people that do that you know across the board I mean obviously that costs a a ton of money but Alabama makes a ton of money uh, if you just watch the approach to the game I mean just if you look at the two three hours before the game if you just looked at the two benches it looked like you know one team was ready for World War three and the other you know team was was I don't know wasn't ready for anything I mean you know the benches on the USC side weren't even up, you know, in the, in the, in the team area. Uh, the amount of personnel and the amount of equipment and the amount of everything that Alabama had ready to go. And you looked at the USC side and it just looked like, uh, did the truck not get here? You know, <laughs> are the buses lost? What, what's going on? And, uh, there's a different approach. I mean, Alabama is in a different place right now from everybody else. Maybe Ohio State is the only one that, you know, over the next couple of years you think, okay. But uh, but USC has a ways to go. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Dan. Um, Tarek had a question. If USC is a run-first team, why not run out of the eye formation with a lead blocker instead of the shotgun where the quarterback is not a running threat? That would be a great question. I mean, nobody, you know, people run versions of, of the eye, you know, with lead block. Yeah, to me, that was the way, once you realize, okay, we can't do this, that's the way to go with uh, a lead blocker and, and narrow the splits down and all of that. I would have liked to have seen them do that in, in game prep, uh, you know, the, the two weeks and not just have to do it on the fly down there. But I can't agree with you, you know, more. I mean, USC did have a size advantage. Uh, they couldn't hit the targets much, but, uh, if you, if you compress the area that you're talking about, you got a better chance of hitting them. And I mean, why would you want, uh, Zach Banner out on an island with a wider split that gives that guy a chance that, you know, Williams or whichever one of them, a chance to to go to the outside, get Zach's momentum taking him to the outside, where he really did a pretty good job of staying with those guys on their outside rushes. And then what would they do? They'd plant and come inside on him. And while they're planting and coming inside, Zach's momentum with his big, big body is still taking him another step outside. And by that time, they've beaten him to the inside. You don't you know, you don't want Zach where he's way outside like that. You really, you're better off having him, you know, he and Vianney, uh, you know, really next to one another and, and maybe foot to foot. I mean, Stanford has figured out how to do it. And if you want to be, you know, a physical run first team, you might want to look at some of the things Stanford does. All right. Let's, uh, let's go Mike in Santa Barbara. He says, Thanks for the great content after the, quote, debacle in Dallas. For Trojan fans, 9-3-16 will go into the history books right next to 11-22-63. After listening to you, Dan, and other sources after the game, 
The loss just can't be explained away on a discrepancy in talent. Alabama probably has an edge in talent, but not a 52-6 to edge. Hard to disagree with that. Uh, so that brings us to coaching. Excuse me. Lack of preparation and correct game planning seems to be the general consensus for the loss. My question is, with all the experience on Coach Helton's staff, it's inconceivable to me that the staff could be so unprepared to play a team like Alabama. The true uh, Clay Helton, true Clay Helton has never been a head coach previously, but doesn't he and T. Martin have many combined years of experience preparing game plans? The whole unprepared argument just doesn't make any sense to me. Can you or Dan provide more insight? Many thanks, Mike in Santa Barbara. Yeah, it, it really is to some extent inexplicable that, uh, I mean, for example, I, I watched the, uh, when, when they hired, uh, Neil Calloway and Tyson Helton, I watched the, uh, Western Kentucky played at LSU last year. And LSU had a, uh, again, a obviously very athletic, very talented defense. And they ran the, you know, the stuff that Western runs and they did a really nice job. They scored three touchdowns, probably should have had four and they moved the, the, the chains. They moved the ball. They took what was there and it, it just looked, you know, like, okay, this is, this is what, has to happen here that none of that looked like it was happening i i wish i had a good answer i I don't have a good answer i'm not sure usc has a good answer i mean we didn't really get one uh after the game um you know and i don't know which is the worst were they surprised that would be terrible if you go into a game saying we're going to be run first and and then you're totally surprised you can't do it or were they not surprised? I mean, which is the worst answer, you know? And if they're not surprised, then did you have a real alternative that you thought maybe, you know, could work? I will agree with you on the talent. I mean, I think one of the interesting ways, and there's a guy who does, uh, has basically charted most of the national championship teams over the, you know, recent years. And it, very much correlates with this statistic, uh, the ratio of four and five star players on a roster compared to the two and three star players. And it's very close to, you know, uh, every year the team that, uh, has the highest ratio of four and five star players to two and three stars has, has been winning the national championship or right there this year. The team with the highest ratio of four to five stars, uh, compared to two and three is Alabama. The two teams that are tied for second in the nation in the ratio four to five stars to two to three stars are Ohio State and USC. USC isn't out of the ballpark when it comes to how much star power in terms of recruiting, uh, you know, on your roster do you have? Um, you know, some of that might be USC, you know, hasn't quite had the numbers. Uh, so their star power ratio is maybe slightly inflated, but, uh, the differential, uh, between recruiting, you know, uh, rankings in terms of the players on the field wasn't that great, uh, you know, between USC and Alabama. Uh, obviously the way they played, the payoff, you know, the production, the execution was, but uh, if you just went by, you know, high school recruiting rankings, USC 
does not not belong in that game. And they certainly didn't belong in that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go. We got, it says, hey, guys, my name is Alex from Dothan, Alabama. I think a D-O-T-H-A-N. Dothan. Yeah, Dothan. Dothan. Sorry, Alabama. Dothan. And a big USC fan. This is my first time writing and just want to let you know I enjoy uscfootball.com. Well, thank you, Alex. Been listening to you guys for the past six years. I'm not a sunshine bumper or a doom and gloomer, but I really was disappointed in how the team performed this Saturday. But I've been seeing fans posting about firing Clay Helton and the coaching staff already after one game, which, Ryan, I remember you saying that we're going to have some growing pains with Clay, and we saw it this past Saturday. But already calling for a coach's head is ridiculous. I want to see how the remainder of the season plays out to form an opinion. What do you guys think? Uh, and love your answer. Yeah, no, I, I don't. You can't do that. You could go back and say, oh, should we have maybe made a run at, you know, a Tom Herman, for example, who's the only one in the country I would have made a run at. Uh, and I really would have made a run at. And as I pointed out, I just think USC uh, was not in a position to make a run at anybody just because if you're the president of USC, if you're Max Nikias, and you have an athletic department that just recommended that you hire Steve Sarkeesian less than two years before, you're not going to trust anything that that athletic department comes up with in terms of, oh, yeah, hire this young guy from Houston. He's really the next great coach. I think he's obvious, He's already the next great coach, uh, and he's a Southern California native. Would I have made a run at him? Yeah, I really would have. Uh, but USC wasn't in a position to do that, and obviously Max Zacchaeus was not going to, you know, come up with seven million dollars a year uh, for an NFL coach. Uh, so that left you with uh, Clay Helton is a really good person, a really good guy. Everybody respects him and likes him, and you say we're taking a little bit of a chance here. He's had some good moments, the uh, the Utah win, uh, beating the number three team in the country. Um, the UCLA win, the Las Vegas Bowl when he took over. Uh, so I think there was enough of a sentiment to say, you know, we're not sure. I mean, let's face it, USC's had, I don't think in the history of big-time college football has a, a program ever had to replace two head coaches in the middle of the season two years apart. And that's unheard of. I mean, so – obviously, you know, you're going to be in a situation. So we can go back over all of that and say, blah, 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 this is what you could have done or would have done. Uh, they probably couldn't do it just because of the way things were, you know, constituted. I, I will say this, pretty much everybody that was involved with the Steve Sarkeesian hire is no longer around. So obviously things have changed. But uh, to dwell on that as opposed to saying, what the heck do we do to get out of this? How do we make this year work for us? How does this staff get it done? You know, I mean, obviously John McKay struggled his first two years, and he was a career assistant coach. But he was a tough guy who saw things clearly and figured it out and figured out what he had to do. And I think if I'm a USC fan, i got to say, man, I hope Clay Helton can be that guy. Am I worried a little bit that, so much of his experience in recent years has been under, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, that that's a that's a worry. Uh, does he see things clearly uh, the way they need to be seen in a different way? Uh, is it a worry 
that they thought last year they could play, they could change and play man at, at Oregon and just got killed. Is it, you know, a worry that they thought they didn't have to, you know, that the, it was more important to ease up on the players and conserve and, and, and get them to the Wisconsin game in the Holiday Bowl? And th- that obviously wasn't the answer against the Wisconsin team that was going to slug it out with them. Uh, you know, is it a worry that it didn't look like they learned a single thing from the first Stanford game last year to the second Stanford game? And the fact that those are all in the last five games that USC's played is obviously a, a cause for concern. Now, what do you do? You know, you can't scream and shout and, you know, knock yourself out. You got to figure out what do we do from here and how do we, how do we get through this? I mean, if you're looking at the rest of the year, you say, look, there's nobody on this schedule that USC doesn't have equal talent. I mean, they may not have the program. They may not have the, you know, the, the clear eyed, you know, focused coaching, but you know, who on this schedule can't they beat in a one off, you know, game? I don't think there's anybody they can't. Can they sustain it? Can they do it? You know, see it clearly and figure it out and be disciplined enough and be tough enough uh, to get there. I don't think we have any idea at this point after the way, you know, things have, have not, they, what you want to see a team do is get better. You want to see them build. This is not a team that looks better than it looked in the spring, which just seems crazy, but um, you know, they, they've got to, out right now and all the rest of it we can talk about it maybe in the off season but right now they got to figure out a way to get better for utah state who's not bad and then use that as a building block to to stanford the next week and stanford isn't what they've been uh i don't think but then alabama on offense wasn't either and it didn't matter a bit so well, let's uh, let's move on. Curtis in Marino Valley had a question. He said, during uh, fall camp and in the practices leading up to the season, it was reported that USC was running and practicing against multiple tight end sets, two back sets, even sets with extra linemen. Against Alabama, all I saw was a bunch of wide receivers and one back with read option action no threat, and with no threats of the quarterback running. Only five blockers to protect. We need to run two wide receiver sets and use bigger personnel with the rest, if we really want to run, the defense can be great. Just give them some time. What do you guys think? Fight on from Curtis. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. Yep. There was a total loss of poise, I would think, on the offensive side. A sense of, you know, doom. A sense of, we're stuck here. There's nothing we can do about it. And that was, that's wrong. I mean, you got to be able to be big enough. I mean, look at Nick Saban. He knew probably they weren't going to win with Blake Barnett. He didn't know how it would start out, how, how unbelievably effective their defense was going to be or that USC would implode in the ways they did. But he said, what the heck? We got to get Hertz in there. And Hertz comes in and throws the ball away on the first time. You know, they were scrambling, but they were willing to scramble and they trusted that they would, you know, make the plays when they had to make them. And I didn't see that with USC. I didn't see that sense of, 
well, we got to change up. We got to do something different. Uh, and you know, that you got to be able to do that. You got to be comfortable that if, if one thing's not working, you've got something else you can do and you've got to believe in yourself if you're the coaches and you got to get your players to believe in you. And that's, I think the biggest challenge I think this week and next week is, is getting those players back to believing that what their coaches want them to do is the right thing to do. They know better than we do now that what they were being asked to do against Alabama wasn't going to work and wasn't the right thing, and they weren't prepared to do it. And now those coaches got to win those guys back, and I'm going to be real interested to see if they can. Um, yeah, that's the that's the question, and that's that's one of the things I talked about before, Dan was. That if, if USC punches Alabama in the mouth, they've been punched in the mouth before and they can bounce back and they totally did. And, and just, I mean, they ran with it. We were, USC never been put. You just don't remember know. Remember all those USC, yeah, all those USC teams, like the, the first Rose Bowl, or first Orange Bowl team, they get punched in the mouth and Iowa scores on that kickoff return or whatever. And it didn't bother them. They, they didn't, they just came out and punched them back twice as hard. You know, they got punched in the mouth by Oklahoma. Didn't matter. You know, that's what you do. That's what good teams do. Um, this team didn't seem like it had that. And, and let's face it, this is a five or six years of, you know, since 2010 when the NCAA came down on them. Uh, there's a lot of bad things that have happened to the USC football program. They're not in a place where you would maybe think, okay, we're going to be all right. Things are going to work out. They've had, if you're a senior at USC, you've had two head coaches fired in October. I mean, who's ever lived through that in a big time college football program? Nobody. I mean, you know, these are guys that have, have been places that nobody else has ever been in college football history. All right. Let's, uh, Troy, 75. It's a little long, so bear with me. You know, after last, the last six years, I'm starting to think I'm getting worked by USC. What is it? Is it the Lucy inviting Charlie Brown to kick the football just one more time? First, they bring in one unqualified person after another. Then we're fed all the hype. We get all the buildup for the new and improved coach and team. Uh, this time, things are going to be great. No, Charlie Brown. Lucy will pull the ball away at the last second. Not again. Good grief. I don't think I'm alone in echoing what Coach Hyde says about this offensive line. I even think that Coach Callaway hinted at the fact that this was not a fit unit, and the players responded over the summer by losing a ton of weight. Apparently, they should have lost two tons. So, Dan, what are the options? Can you really bench the likable Zach Banner in favor of a more agile and athletic player? Can EJ Price get some playing time? Do we have any guards who can execute a trap play or a sweep? Uh, can we find a left tackle who prioritizes looking to his left for the massive rush end who is about to kill our quarterback? Can we find a center who hikes the ball above the quarterback's waist? Good grief, Dan. What can we do? And lastly, was T. Martin ever uh, even at the game? Was anybody calling plays? Uh, for a while, I thought Sark was calling our plays. Perhaps that explains why Saban hired Sark after the game. Fight on, Troy75. Good stuff there. Yeah, I think we can think, that, you know, you don't just start throwing guys. You don't have anybody to put in. We, I think we had... Uh, People that could back up people, whether you've got enough people who can, who can be starters. I guess, you know, Jordan Simmons is a guy that I don't think we've ever seen 
get that chance to show what he could do. Is he one guy? Maybe. Um, uh, I think you go much more foot to foot. You go much more Stanford and you have to be able to run the ball. They have to honor the run and then you can throw it. Uh, but, uh, I don't think they can run it from these formations. I don't think they can run it uh, with wider splits. I don't think you can, you know, survive with, you know, with Zach and uh, and Chad out on island. Uh, you know, I don't think. I, and, and the good is that again, those players that you saw playing against USC for Alabama, they're not playing against USC the rest of the year. Okay, so everything they've got a chance to match up with pretty much everybody they play if they're doing the right things in the right formations and they believe in it and they work at it and they're demanding enough. And I think they kind of cruised into the, the last two weeks. I think, you know, you got the sense that there's still that uh, kind of NFL prep kind of thing. Like, you know, we really we're where we need to be. And now we just have to sharpen everything up. No, you don't. You got to figure out how to make contact with the guy you're supposed to block. Uh, you know, this all the. Do they have too much offense in? Maybe. I don't know. You know, the the number of missed assignments and mistakes would indicate maybe they do. Do they need to be simpler? Do they need to be more basic? Probably. Uh, one would like to know that you know to to see that they go back and you know don't have as much offense. You don't need to be the smartest guys in the world. You don't need to outsmart anybody. You got to out tough them. I think the question that I'd never got answered was, are they tough enough? Uh, and I was obvious, you know, they weren't, but they didn't ever do anything on offense to make you think they were tough enough or smart enough. I mean, I mean, it's, when you think, wow, in the spring, this looks different. This sounds different. They're, you know, they're taking advantage of, of their skill sets in, in different places than we've seen before. They're throwing the, you know, the ball in places we haven't seen before. Now, if you have to be able to run in order to do that, then you have to get into formations and you have to get into situations where you can be successful running the ball. And if you can't, you can forget all the rest of it. I mean, there wasn't a play in the world that they were going to be able to call that was going to work with what they were trying to do against that defense. Uh, it, it, there was nothing they could do. Uh, but they got to be able to figure out what do we do week to week to force teams to defend, uh, to be, be conscious of the run and to be worried about the run. If, if you don't have to worry about the run game, USC passing game is predicated on that. If if you can't run it, then you can't pass it. So, you know, that's it. You're gone. And that's exactly what happened Saturday. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> All right, we'll do two more and we'll let you go, Dan. I know there's a just, you know, we apologize. We're not getting to everything, but we're trying to talk, touch on as many topics that you care about as possible. Uh, we have the Bama game was obviously an offensive failure, uh, which eventually wore down our defense physically and mentally. Uh, is there a, quote, give T a shot, then Tyson takes over factor going on? T is obviously a great guy, great recruiter, and at least a very good receivers coach. Could he have been promised 
the offensive coordinator shot if he stayed through all of the chaos of late. But Helton has his brother in the wings to take over eventually. Thanks, Tyler and Sammamish, the home of Max Brown, who I think will be just fine at quarterback, poised, confident, etc., on the biggest stage possible. Yeah, I mean, I know we look for a, you know, the magic bullet, and it's the play caller. Hey, the problem was there were no plays to call that were going to work the way they were trying to go at it. Now, you would like to see the entire staff. I mean, you basically got, you know, Clay as the previous offensive coordinator, play caller, and uh, and Tyson and T, and you would really like to see them. And, and one of the advantages you, you thought was in bringing in Tyson and uh, and uh, Neil Callaway from Western that they really understood uh, one another and, and what they were trying to do and that how that played in with the offensive line uh, in terms of the general you know scheme of the uh, of the offense and that didn't look totally disconnected like there wasn't any uh, you know understanding of what they could do uh, blocking you know the Alabama defense and how that would impact the, you know the entire offensive scheme uh, so I'm not so much concerned about who's actually calling this play or that play it's how do you structure an offense for this set of linemen and the, this quarterback and these receivers and this, you know, ru- this running back group? How do they be, su- how are they successful each week going forward? You know, and the Utah State games are a different challenge from the, the, you know, the Stanford and Utah games after that. What do they do to get them to that place so that it's not such a big deal? What's the next play I'm going to call? Or can I pull a rabbit out of a hat and just hit the exact, you know, wow, look at that play. Wow. No, you want to just line up and be able to run play after play after play. Uh, and, and so that you don't depend on the play caller to be a genius and just hit it, hit it right. And, you know, you got to run an offense that, that the players know is going to work. You can't run an offense where, oh, I hope the offensive coordinator gets the right play call. That's just, that's not the way you, you can go forward. So I want them all to be on the, you know, not one over the other, but all of them to be on the same page and, and with the players so that they all agree. This is what we have to do. This is how we have to do it. And this is why it's going to work. And, and then they, they do it in practice and, and they make it work. All right, one last one for you, Dan. Uh, man, so many podcasts this week, and we got more to come. I know. But there's just so much going on. Uh, Chris wrote in, My observation is that our juniors and seniors at all positions, but especially in the interior lines and linebackers, do not appear to be developing physically like USC players in the past or our better opponents players like Stanford and Alabama. Now, why? Why do players like Mama, Lobendon, Viani, Wheeler... And so many others not look fit and strong like those teams' players. I would expect after three or four years in the program that four-star players should look like the Khalil brothers, Sean Cody, Tyron Smith, Winston Justices of the past. Am I missing something? What are your observations on the subject of the physical development of our players? My observation is that all the five-star DBs in the world on our roster will not bring us a championship unless unless this problem is addressed. And we are and will continue to be dominated by the class teams in the country. Thanks from Chris. 
Chris, uh, it's not so much they don't look like him. They don't play like him. I mean, you know, Ryan Khalil was so smart and so uh, uh, under control and so balanced and so flexible. He could do. He could get to places, and he just made plays. He was not, you know, Mr. Adonis or anything. He was kind of undersized much of the time he was at USC. He was just a really good football player, and he stayed in every play. He didn't take himself out of plays. What's happened with this group? I mean, this group is as highly ranked, you know, in terms of, you know, recruiting rankings and stars and all that, as any group, you know, that they've had over the years. And, and those things change as you go along. It's as experienced as any group. It's certainly as big as, as any group you, you've wanted. And yet they don't look like they can make plays. They don't look like they stay in plays. They don't look like they can stay off the ground. Uh, they, they don't look like they have quite that fire, quite that, you know, drive, that ability to just, I mean, you know, we've seen it occasionally. You know, they'll reference the uh, end of the UCLA game or the Cal game last year when they were able to keep things going and that. But it's not, it's a come and go, it's a hit and miss kind of a thing. And, uh, uh, but it's not that, you know, in terms of the, I think they're in pretty good condition. I think they run pretty well. I think they probably uh, have clearly gotten stronger, and yet none of that seems to uh, translate into uh, more or better production on the field. And, and there's a disconnect somewhere. And you know that to me is kind of the the overall game planning and the overall offensive scheming. And it, it does seem like it's gotten lost somewhere in the the last three head coaches uh, uh, during the sanctions. You know, is it a combination of uh, the culture that develops when you don't have enough bodies and you're trying to, you know, gimmick things and grab bag things and hoping you come up with a, an answer and outsmart somebody when you don't think you got enough, you know, players to just pound them? Uh, I don't know. But has that culture been hard for these guys, you know, is the we look at the three and four years of experience that everybody on the offensive line pretty much has, and we think, well, that's got to be a good thing, right? Maybe it's not. Maybe, you know, the experience that they've gotten with a different, you know, offensive line coach every year turns into a negative, that the longer that they've been here, um, the less they're able, you know, to build on that, that kind of experience. I don't know. Uh, but they don't seem to be as football efficient as those guys you mentioned. I mean, and Ryan Khalil, to me, has always been the the guy that was just so smart and so effective and such a, you know, a leader. And you don't see that kind of a a, a player at all. I mean, he just was in a, and, and he wouldn't stand out uh, standing next to any of these guys as, wow, he's a way better looking or way better developed or whatever, but he's just a way better football player. Uh, where do they miss out? That's the question I think we're all asking, and I don't think we all have we have any good answers at this point. Uh, other than there's been a lot of turmoil, there's been no continuity. Um, they went down the wrong path, I think, a few years because they didn't have enough players, 
and they were trying to conserve the ones they did. And, um, and maybe you don't get it back immediately when you're playing somebody like an Alabama, but can you get it back over the course of this year? Well, that is, <laughs> that's the question. Uh, and we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer yet. Um, don't, uh, don't sleep on Utah State. Uh, that is a good team. Um, I think if USC bounces back and plays well in this game, that's a, some reason for optimism. We'll, we'll have to see though, Dan. Yeah. We just don't know, but it's not. We don't know. We really don't. Yeah. Um, it's not going to get I'll any easier. I'll be so interested. What we don't know is what are they going to do as a result of Saturday? What did they come up with? And what are they going to, you know, what are we going to see today on that field? Are we going to see, oh, we're going to stay with exactly what we're doing. We knew we were doing the right things. It was just, you know, Alabama, kind of a mismatch and blah, blah, blah. We'll see. I don't know. All right. Well, Dan Weber, check him out on uscfootball.com, our great beat writer and columnist. Thanks so much, Dan. Uh, hopefully we get some uh, Trojan therapy out there for all the the USC fans. Uh, They're but, not the only ones that need it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Dan, and this everyone else. Therapy for, this is therapy for us, I think. Yeah, we get to talk about it. Uh, well, thanks, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll, uh, we're heading out to practice, and uh, I'll probably do – I'm going to try to have like a guest on or two later in this week, or I'll do a solo one again or something. So, But thanks for sending all the questions. I still have a pile of them left so more topics we can kind of talk about and then of course getting ready here for utah state so thanks to dan weber thanks to all of you for tuning in and we will talk to you next time most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking understanding the market value of your home pricing advertising closing and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey and michael moline real estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one southern california real estate inventories are at historic lows so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 